things today. Uh, also, uh, I'm not going to move around as much as I normally do. Uh, because we have these uh, drapes for a wedding yesterday, uh, there's a narrow window in which the, the camera can see me. <laughs> so, like, this is it. Yeah. It, and that's on close-up. So, uh, if you're going to watch the YouTube version, it's not going to be very pretty because it's going to just be my face, you know? So, so I'm going to try and not move around too much. If I do, Isabel, just start waving at me, all right? Should we pray? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your presence here. We want to thank you, Lord, that you are a God of grace who pours out life upon us, who pours out forgiveness and love. And Lord, we thank you that today we can experience that, each and every one of us. So Lord, we pray that we may hear your voice calling out to us today and that we may respond to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are on the, uh, the last chapter of the first epistle to, of John. And um, uh, in our kind of uh, journey through John, I hope you've enjoyed it, I've enjoyed it. It's, we've looked at all sorts of different things, but the, the theme throughout John is considering what is a child of God like? What does a child of God look like? And he touches on all sorts of different things. And he talks about, it, you know, a child of God is someone who loves God and loves others. Uh, someone who is able to discern the truth and know the truth. A child of God is someone who lives in purity and holiness. A child of God is someone who is obedient. Those are themes that crop up time and time again throughout his letter. In fact, all his letters and probably even his gospel. And uh, we get to this last passage, this last chapter... Uh, and it's a summary of all that has gone on before. But there's a kind of little twist, I think, in it, in that he is encouraging the children of God to live life as children of God. It's an encouragement to take the teaching that has gone before and to live it out. Don't just understand that you are the children of God, but live life as children of God. And he kind of fleshes that out a little bit. And uh, there's a whole bunch of things in that passage, some of which could be sermons in themselves, and I'm going to try and cover a whole bunch of stuff in different ways. But he starts off by coming back to probably the overarching theme of the letter, which is love. And he summarizes it by making one important point, that we love God and we love each other, and those two loves are absolutely inseparable. You cannot say, as he says, love God and then hate your brother or sister. You cannot. If you hate your brother and sister, it negates your love for God because the two are so inseparable. They are so inseparable to be able to try and split them apart and say, well, I just love God and, well, church, I struggle with. You can't do that. According to John, if you love God... You will love the people of God. And in, it's, it's interesting that he also says, if you love the people of God, you love God. Which is a nice little twist on it. Because there are people who struggle, and we've got um, a couple in this church, who struggle with understanding and believing in God. But they love being part of the family here. And for them, John says, you know what, if you love the people of God, 
then you love God. Because we are the body of Christ. We have God in us. And if there is something that you see in the people here that is attractive, it is God. And if you are loving the people of God, then you are loving God. The two are so inseparable that you cannot in any way just claim to love one without also loving the other. And I love what John does with that because he is linking deeply our life with each other and our life in God. It's almost like it's not even saying they are two sides of the same coin. It is almost like he's saying they are just the same thing. You love God, then you love the church. If you love the church, then you love God. And some of us have to simply accept that. Because we all find each other difficult at different points. We all struggle with, with each other. And yet by loving God, we are also saying that we love the church. And I think, you know, uh, I am passionate about the church. Not just our church, but just the church. The church is the most amazing organization, I use that word loosely, on earth. No other organization brings random groups of people together who become family. No other organization, no other group, no other activity does that. There are groups that become family, but they are nearly always people who are similar in quite um, distinct ways. But the church is full of people who are from all sorts of backgrounds, have all sorts of different types of characters, who sometimes have slightly different beliefs and understanding of what they uh, believe in. But the belief in Christ binds them together in such a way that they become family. And I am tired of hearing people talk about how they love God but don't need the church. We hear it time and time again. We hear it from celebrity Christians that they love God but don't need the church. What would John say to them? <laughs> he would have, he'd have a few words for them. If you love God, then you automatically are saying that you love church. And you love it so much that you want to be part of it. Because you cannot learn to love God without also loving the church. And so I'd encourage you, to, we keep coming back to this theme of community and uh, family to work hard at being family. Work hard at loving one another. Because in that very act, you are learning how to love God. That is the life of a child of God. You are not simply a child of God, out on your own, doing your own thing. We are the children of God, brothers and sisters. And we are meant to be together. We are meant to be family. And it is in our very community that we learn who God is. It's in our very community that we understand what we believe. 
All the creeds, like the creed that we read before, came about through community, through brothers and sisters working out what they believed, what they understood about God, arguing over, sometimes for decades, sometimes for centuries, until they came to a common conclusion. They worked it out for a long time as family. They did it together. So we always have two loves. They are inseparable. A love for God and love for church. But then John goes on to say that it is because of our love for God that we keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome because everyone born of God overcomes the world. We are overcomers. If you are a child of God, if you are born of God, you are going to overcome the world. What does that mean? It does not mean that you're going to have an easy life. We know that, don't we? Some of you know that really well. You are not going to have an easy life. You're not going to live a life where you are constantly happy and just sailing through life without any concerns or worries. That is not an overcomer. An overcomer is someone who faces all the trials and temptations of this world and stays true to Christ, stays true to what they believe right to the very end. That is an overcomer. When John writes in the book of Revelation, that's what he's talking about. When he talks about overcomers in the book of Revelation, he's saying, these are the people who stayed true to their faith right to the very end. And the very fact that we are called overcomers reminds us that the church is not a playground but a battleground. Not that we fight each other, I hope. But we are part of a battle. One of my other frustrations is when church people treat church as entertainment. We are not here to be entertained. We are here to learn to be the children of God, and the children of God are all warriors. Fighting against all the temptations, all the systems of this world that seek to oppress us, restrain us, constrain us, we are people who fight against that to declare the glory of God wherever we go, no matter who we're with. And it doesn't matter, it should never matter what happens in the world. Our faith should remain constant. It should be the very rock on which we stand. When everything else is shaking around us, we are overcomers because we stand on Jesus, our rock. And we're going through a bit of a shaking at the moment, aren't we, in this country? You know, I'm, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not going to get too political here. I'm a passionate Remainer. But it looks like we're not going to. And you know what? It really doesn't matter. And I say that as a passionate Remainer. If we leave or if we stay, it doesn't matter. Because I'm an overcomer. And no matter whether we're in or out of Europe, my faith will remain. That is the most important thing. And that should be the thing that binds us all together, whether you're a Brexiteer or a Remainer or a Dunkerer. That should not matter anymore. We are overcomers in Christ. 
that is our common theme. That we remain rooted in Jesus, no matter what goes on around us. We remain rooted in Jesus. And we overcome the world because of him. And I love the fact that in John, in all of John's comments, he says, he doesn't say that Jesus overcomes the world, which of course he does on the cross. He says, you are overcomers. You are overcomers. Which kind of puts some of the responsibility on us to say, I will stay, I will make the choice to remain rooted in Jesus. That I make the choice to keep on doing the right things, to stay close to my Savior, to pray, to read Scripture, to stay part of the family. Belief is always a choice, and we choose to remain rooted in Jesus. We're overcomers. And John mentions it three times in that letter, that we are overcomers. Chapter 2. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. You have overcome the evil one. Chapter 4. You, dear children, are from God. And you have overcome them. And them is all the powers and principalities of this dark world. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Because we have Christ in us, who is the ultimate overcomer, we too overcome the world. And out of that, he points to the uniqueness of Jesus. Because he then goes on to talk about how Jesus was the one that God testified to. That through the water and the blood and the spirit, God tells us that Jesus is unique. In water, which was the water of baptism, God the Father speaks over Jesus and says, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. On the cross, our Saviour carries the weight and the sin of the world and dies on our behalf, but God raises him from the dead and the spirit who John says is our teacher and our guide in his gospel brings us that point of conviction of sin and conviction of our need of a saviour God keeps bringing us back to his son to the uniqueness of Jesus and in him what do we have? life not simply life after we die, eternal life, length of life. But the quality of life. That means that now, today, we can live life differently. We are overcomers because of Jesus in us. We can live life differently. We don't have to follow the lemmings of the world who simply follow every trend and fashion of the day whether that's rain, Remain, Brexit, or whatever, whether that is whatever political scheme you can think of, whether it's whatever self-promoting idea you have, we don't have to be swayed by any of that because we can live a different kind of life in which the life of Jesus flows through us 
which the life of Jesus helps us to make the most of every situation that we're in, whether we're going through hard times or good times, to draw out every single beautiful aspect of life that we can find because of Jesus. And so John says in our passage, whoever has the Son has life. Not simply eternal life, but a quality of life that is different. A quality of life that can only be found in Jesus. And then he makes this big claim that because of Jesus in us, we can be confident that whatever we ask, Jesus will hear us and will answer our prayer. It's extraordinary, isn't it? See, if we're to be people who live life as the children of God, in other words, people who love, who overcome, who understand that we have the privilege of living life differently, then we can also have the privilege of coming to Jesus in prayer and praying outrageous prayers. I wonder what you're going to pray this coming week when you gather with other Christians to pray for our town. How are you going to pray? What are you going to pray for? Let's come with confidence to Jesus. Let's come with the confidence of knowing that we are the children of God. And we are people who are overcomers. And whatever dark forces cover this town, they are nothing, not only to Jesus, but they are nothing to us. Because we have Jesus in us. And so I want to encourage you this week to pray outrageous prayers. To pray prayers that no one else dare pray. To believe that you are the children of God in such a powerful, deep way that you are prepared to ask for things that no one else is prepared to ask for. Because you understand who you are. So let me encourage you this week. Lead the way in praying for outrageous things. Whether that is revival, the prosperity of the town, whatever. Whatever God lays on your heart, don't be afraid to pray it. And pray it confidently. Not arrogantly. Not bombastically. But with the sure confidence of knowing that I'm a child of God. And there's nothing that can hold me back because of Jesus in me, I'm an overcomer. And then in our letter, John changes tack. He starts to bring some things to a conclusion. He starts to pick up some little bits and pieces that are perhaps part of a previous conversation. Perhaps part of a, a time when he'd gone to see the people he, were writing, he was writing to, or maybe there was another letter before the letter that we have that has now been lost. But John goes on to talk about praying for those who sin. And he has this difficult thing where he talks about a sin 
that leads to death and a sin that does not lead to death. Now, if you read all the different commentaries, every commentator has a different idea about what that is. Really frustrating, because we don't know the backstory. We don't know the conversations that went on before. And we can get really caught up with that. What is the sin? We can be worried about it. Is there a sin that I am committing that would lead to death? I think if you're thinking that very thought, probably that's unlikely. See, I think the sin, and this is just my opinion, I think the sin that leads to death is simply those people who sin but have such hard hearts that they are not prepared to repent. See, John has already talked about forgiveness in the very first chapter. And he says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That whatever sin you've committed, if you confess your sin, he will forgive you and cleanse you from all, not just some unrighteousness, but from all unrighteousness. See, if John has already written that, what does he mean by the thing he says later on, that there is sin that leads to death? There are people, and maybe you know some of them, who've become so hard-hearted towards God that they will never repent. In fact, in Hebrews, the writer to Hebrews in chapter 12 talks about Esau, how he was seeking forgiveness but could not repent. And so did not receive forgiveness. So if you're wondering if you've ever committed the sin that leads to death, that very thought is probably an indication that you are soft-hearted enough to repent. But what John focuses on here is when you see a brother or sister who is in sin, pray for them. Pray for them. He doesn't say go and judge them, go and condemn them. And we are able to judge one another. But he doesn't say that. He says pray for them. And he, he says pray a very specific thing. Pray that they may have life. See, when you have the life of Jesus in you, when you're experiencing life in all its fullness, as Jesus has promised, then sin becomes a lot harder to do. The more you are living life as the children of God, the more you are living life in the confidence that you are an overcomer, sin becomes harder to do. So when you see someone who is in sin, pray that the life of Jesus may fill them. Pray that the life of Jesus may rise up within them because they still have Jesus in their hearts. Pray that the life of Jesus may rise up within them and convict them of their sin and lead them to repentance. We are a people who are meant to live the life of Jesus each and every day, the life of children of God, and that does not include sin. But John recognizes in our passage that we are children of God, but we live in an evil world, yet he puts those two side by side. We are always in that battle. 
How do I live life as a children of God? In a time when everything has been shaken. When there are so many temptations around me. You are going to fall, but stay soft-hearted. Repent daily of all your sin. Keep coming back to Jesus, knowing that you are a sinful person, but still a child of God. Who can receive forgiveness and continue to live life as his child. There's nothing that you have done yet that has stopped you from living life as a child of God. There's nothing. Because you're here. The very fact that you're here says there's something in you that is longing for more of Jesus. And so when you see others in church who may be entering into something that you know is not good for them, that is simply wrong, pray for them. Pray that the life of Jesus will fill them. See, we're meant to live that life each and every day. We're the children of God. We are overcomers. We are people who love God and love each other. And when we love each other, we should be praying for each other. Should we stand? We're going to uh, sing couple of songs together but just for a moment let's just be quiet in the presence of God we've talked a lot about simply waiting on the spirits of God and I want to encourage you right now just to allow the spirit of God to enter into your heart and mind Holy Spirit, would you come and move amongst us, we pray. Lord, would you convict us of our sin, convict us of our need for Jesus. Holy Spirit, just come and be in this place now, we pray. his life and I'm going to pray in a moment that we may keep on experiencing that life but maybe you're aware right now of things that are holding you back from experiencing all that God has for you a couple of us will be over to this side uh, during the worship to pray with you if you want that And while others are singing, we'll pray with you. So do please use us as we offer that opportunity for us to pray life into you. Father God, I thank you that you are here. I thank you, Lord, that you speak into our lives constantly. That you're drawing us away from all that would harm us, all the sin and wrongdoing, 
all the mistakes that we make. And you keep calling us back to you. That we may experience life and life in all its forms. So Lord, I pray now that you would stir up your life in us. Fill us with your life, we pray. Help us, Lord, to be the kind of people who truly love God and truly love the church. Help us, Lord, to be the kind of people who are overcomers, who will remain true to you no matter what happens around us, who will not be trodden down by all the things that happen in this world. Help us, Lord, to be a people who come to you confident in who we are, confident in who you are, and confidence in the things that we ask for. Lord, help us to be a people who live lives of purity and holiness. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sing two songs together, and uh, there'll be a few of us at one side who will pray with you if you would like that.